Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 95. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Crestfallen. Crestfallen. Today we'll be kicking things off with an interview with Adrian Garcia Bogliano and talk about his upcoming film, Here Comes the Devil. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before jumping into a feature review of Spike Lee's Old Boy. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Uh, before we get into the interview, thought it that we should mention the passing of Paul Walker and just briefly talk about that. Now, there's a couple things I want to say. First, we, we give Paul Walker, we gave him some shit over the years on the show i think but yeah he's pretty much ryan's nemesis but i think it's still i mean it was still sad and i didn't hate him as an actor or anything like that but i really am kind of disgusted and I, i'm not surprised i guess with just like the whole you know t- twitter everybody on twitter saying like how ironic he I was does gonna say it, how many it's not it's not ironic. How many it's terrible ironic. Uh, Fast and Furious jokes were there on the Twitter? It, it's horrible. It's distasteful. And the, it's not irony. When someone dies in a car accident and they were in movies about car racing, that's not irony. And furthermore, he wasn't even driving the car. He was the passenger. So, Oh, that's unfortunate. But I am... It, it, that's it does sad. make me I sad. Did, I didn't... I was surprised that he's forty. I didn't know he was. 40. I know he looks. He looked really good for forty. I was surprised. He has like a fifteen-year-old kid too. Jeez. Yeah, that's sad. And the other thing is now everybody's like, "Well, what's going to happen with Fast and Furious 7? What's going to happen? Like, who gives a fuck? A guy's dead for God's sake. Just yeah. let's. And you know what's going to? It's Hollywood. They're just going to replace him. Yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> or they'll write his character off. Yeah, they'll. I'm sure that they'll kill him off in the movie, probably. Yeah, it's not like Hollywood hasn't dealt with this before. Yeah. So, at any rate, I think that it is terrible. I think that he was better than the movies that he was in, honestly. I mean, I just talked about him with that Hours movie, and I said that he didn't do a bad job, so... Yeah, it just seemed like, uh, for him, most of his acting career was... Fast and Furious like took up all of his time. Yeah, no, and I happen to I be wish, in all of them. <laughs> yeah, I wish that he had the opportunity to to try out some different things. I think he might have been a little bit more well respected as yeah. an actor if he, if he was able to devote some time to other stuff. But at the same time, like I don't know what kind of checks he was getting from Fast and the Furious, but I mean, if you're getting well paid for those movies. Well, I'd be, that, well, I'd that's be the, doing it too. You yeah, know what I mean? The, like you drive around in sweet ass cars. Well, that's the other thing. Like you know, it's a safe bet. Like, why would you? Why would you ever say, "All right, I'm done with this"? When there's the uncertainty of, okay, you know, you have a guaranteed paycheck, probably a huge paycheck with that yeah. series, or do something else, and you're not even sure what it could be. So. Paul Walker, rest in peace. All right, let's have a chat with director Adrian Garcia Bugliano and talk about his upcoming film, Here Comes the Devil. First off, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me. Let's start things off by maybe telling the listeners a little bit about what transpires in Here Comes the Devil. 
Well, that movie is um, it's it's something that I wanted to make for for uh, for many years. It's a it's a a movie that has like two different levels of um, interpretation. Let's say uh, it it can be on one hand just a horror story, and on the other hand, it can be also um, a, a a film about. Uh, sexual repression and taboos that's that's something that i want to to do to make a film that could work in in both levels just as a, as this as this horror story of a of a of a couple that um loses uh, uh their their children for one night and uh next day they find them and and something appears to have changed in the children mm-hmm. uh and on the other hand uh, it's it's actually a film about about um, secrets, about uh, s- uh, sexual repression, about things that we don't uh, like to show uh, to the rest of the people, and uh, about a secret that is uh, being dis- discovered through the movie. Now, the sexual themes in the f- in the film are they're, they're very strong sexual mm-hmm. themes. And a lot of the themes involve young kids. Were there any concerns when making the film about um, taking things too far, uh, dealing with ratings boards, having to cut certain things? So this this was an issue for you? It, it, it was an issue, but no, I, I never thought um, I was going to show any any more than, than what I did. Um, I was... It, 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 I had a kind of a hard time uh, explaining that to the to the producers. That's mm-hmm. that was the only concern they had, of course. And uh, you know, they at one point I had to you know be very clear and said this is not going to be anything like a, a Serbian film or something right. like that. Uh, that's not what I intended. I've I've made a few uh, a, a couple of films that had really gory disturbing elements all mm-hmm. over the movie this one has like one or two things like that but it's it's not about the gore or anything like that and i want i wanted to be very clear about that that uh, subject i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm very respectful I and mean, i'm very you know uh, kind of shy uh, mm-hmm. with you know with my with my actors and what with the things my actors have to do, so I would never have think, even if it was, you know, <laughs> even if if it was legal or, or anything, I, mm-hmm. I would I, I would have never think of of doing, you know, s- something that could be, uh, you know, uh, dis- dis- disturbing or too extreme for the for the child actors. They had a they had a lot of fun doing the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and all all the film was made, you know, they only had like not even the pages. That they had uh, to shoot, but just the lines of action that they had to do, you know, because some of the other elements on on those same pages of 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 the script contain, you know, more explicit elements. So right. they just had like lines, and what I would tell them is like, you have to look that way, like you know, mm-hmm. very serious and stuff like that. They they were. You know, completely separate uh, through through the entire process of shooting film um, of of what was really going on. You know, their parents were there all the time. 
you know, we, we tried to be as, as, as careful as possible. And, um, yeah, and I, and I think they had a lot of fun. They had a lot of fun with the makeups and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of the makeup, now, like you, like you said, this isn't like a nonstop gore fest. This is like a more subdued horror film, but there are spurts of pretty, some pretty extreme violence. Mm. And I, I don't know how much, if any, CG used in the film because I, I really couldn't tell because all the all the gore effects looked really good. And I always like to ask horror directors when I talk to them how how do you feel about practical effects versus mm. CG in films? Well, I I you know uh, I think that most uh, most people of my age love practical effects. I think that mm. there is a, there is just a. a, a a problem of of budget sometimes you know you you right. can you can do some of that stuff live because you don't have enough time to do it um you know it, it practical effects require a lot of time we we had these uh the the goriest scene of the movie was actually supposed to be like two pages longer mm-hmm. um it was going to be a lot more violent and a lot more disturbing but when we got to to sh- by the time we got to shoot it, we we already cut it, some stuff out because we realized that we were not going to have time to to do all those effects. But by the time that we were, you know, that we shot all the all the previous dialogue, that it's you know before the the gore part, mm-hmm. we realized that we were not going to even have time to shoot all the gore that that we had. So mm-hmm. we started to to cut and cut and cut things out and we just you know made made it in a way very very simple and very specific and i think it 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 works but it's you know one of those things where you realize that you know practical effects uh require a lot of a lot of time i i just i just shot another movie that it's actually a a a werewolf movie and uh the decision was you know to make all the all the werewolves um on on CG on on uh, I'm sorry on practical effects no no CG at all, and we had the luck to have uh, Bob Kurtzman um, mm. to 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 make the to make the special effects, and he's you know absolutely awesome and he's you know one of the greatest professionals in America, and yet you know the the time it was super time consuming right. to try to achieve that. So you know I, it's it's it. It's easy to understand why why people is is going more and more to the CG because you know uh, a few years ago it was it was easy to have like a you know kind of a small horror film of five ten million dollars now you know it's it's impossible to have uh, those kind of budgets so, uh, you know horror directors are working with more and more restraints in terms of budget and you know you you have to solve it. Yeah, any any way you can mm-hmm. you, with your budget. Yeah, so the film kind of harkens back to a more seventies style of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the films that influenced you, and you maybe thought about when you were working on this film? I always have like thousands of <laughs> of horror films of the seventies and eighties. Uh, on you know on my brain when I'm when I'm working, uh, you know a lot of people saw uh, the name of of uh, Lucio, the 
uh, one of the characters of the film as a reference to Lucio Fulci. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't actually the idea, but you know, Lucio Fulci's films, of course, are always uh, around there uh, where, right. on the on the creative process. Uh, but I think that you know, the the film that I always said that it was like the 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 seed for this movie was Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. uh, the the film of of Peter Weir. Um, I, I love that film. I mean, even if it's not that clearly a horror film, uh, it was it was a film that uh, provoked me a very intense feeling when I saw it for the first time when I was a kid. Uh, it was uh, a very disturbing film, yeah. and and I think that also you know I there's not seventies but there is an eighties adaptation of of one uh, book that inspired me a lot, of course, that it's uh, The Turn of the Screw of Henry James. There is a, an adaptation of the 80s, uh, Spanish adaptation, directed by um, uh, by a filmmaker that already died, uh, Eloy de la Iglesia, which is a, a very obscure and wonderful director, a Spanish director that made films through the 70s and 80s. And this was his only... Well, this and Cannibal Men, that it's a bit more famous, were his only entries on, on horror. And um, it's it's really disturbing and very sexual. And and I thought it was it was really interesting. So I think those those were the basic um, the basic references. But mm-hmm. uh, through the you know the, the the style of filmmaking and things like that, you know, I I always look to you know um, people like Nicholas Roeg, um, a film like Don't Look Now is obviously a, another reference, and um, Brian De Palma also, of course. Oh, okay. And we were very lucky because we had. Um, that that was the initially the style that I wanted for the movie, but we we were very lucky very lucky that we shot with a with a great camera um, with a red one, but at the same time we had um, all these all these lenses and all these camera filters from the seventies that were really from from that age, like wow. the zoom and all the there is this this uh, scene that it's kind of a. Uh, how do you say that? Like a dream sequence that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, with the babysitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all those effects that you see with the splitting images and the kaleidoscope, I, I think it's called that way. Yeah. Um, uh, all those images are actually uh, made on camera with with filters of the of the 70s that people don't use anymore and i don't know why because they're really wonderful for some to 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 create some effects uh, and those were the type of effects that brian de palma used a lot on the on the final sequence of carrie mm-hmm. and uh we found those and we just you know used them and had a great time uh using them again well it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because my next question was uh, I did notice throughout the film you used some some quick zooming techniques sure. at different times, and and this is something that I love when I see it in films. But it's so rare in in films these days to see that like quick zoom in. Yeah. And was this when you decided to do it that way? Was that kind of another nod to seventy style horror, like like you said with De Palma or? Yeah, sure. I'm. I'm sorry. I, yeah, it was. It was kind of a nod in a way, but I. I didn't want to. I mean, there's something that I. I really like. I'm really proud of the movie. That it's. Uh, 
there is a, a very 70s feel to it, but at the same time, the, treat, the, the treatment of the image or any other things, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look, you know, grindhouse. Or right, it, right. It, exactly. it's, not, it's not that, you know, it doesn't have a lot of winks to the audience like, hey, here's the 70s thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the zooms were, you know, the most difficult part. I actually, I, I actually was very surprised when I, show, when I showed the movie to the, uh, to the producers. They were like super supportive with the whole process and the whole movie. And they never actually asked me to take anything of the movie. Uh, but I was surprised because I was expecting them to be, you know, uh, a bit, you know, um, maybe that they wouldn't like, you know, all the sex elements of the film or something like that. And the only thing that they actually told me is that they didn't like the zooms. Like, hmm. the rest was fine for them. That was like, okay, you can, you know, it's your movie, do whatever you want, but we hate that. <laughs> it was like, uh, and and ever since then, you know, I, I've found a lot of people that don't get it at all. And a lot of people that actually think that that's, you know, because... You know, I'm a I'm an amateur uh, director, and I don't know what a what a dolly is, and I just <laughs> you know zoomed, uh, and you know it was it was totally conscious, of course. I and it actually it's not only a nod, but it's also it's also a conceptual thing. It's like every time that kind of thing happens in the movie, is because something is dragging the attention of the characters into Mm -hmm. a a certain direction and at the end of the movie you have a montage of all those zooms Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's it's more to me it was more like okay all these things that apparently were random were dragging these characters to this tragic finale to this tragic conclusion Uh, like they, they they were actually brought to this place to do what they do at the end of the movie right so you know that that was that was actually the the idea behind it but you know i love those zooms and we you know we actually the zoom that we used was a was a zoom of the of the 70s that actually don't have any kind of um electronic pool or something so it was all handmade by the by the photographer that's why it's you know what you see that you know it it uh, it might have some pause in the middle, like it's not a continuous zoom. It's because it's being made, uh, you know. Yeah, and I think with, with that's a, that's actually what makes it look better to me. I, that's why it's I, I surprising like it. to I, me that people have a problem with that because I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of problems. Uh, some <laughs> some reviewers actually said, you know, the film is great, but the director, you know. He's using that kind of stuff. He should go to film school. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was funny. <laughs> that's crazy to me. Um, speaking of kind of going back to Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. the location in this film plays a really big part. Yeah. Did you, when you were kind of looking at locations on the script level, did you know where you wanted to shoot it? Were you looking at something like Picnic at Hanging Rock for inspiration? It's it, it's curious. I mean, I, I I knew I wanted to make the movie in Tijuana because Tijuana has these these kind of stories about the devil popping mm-hmm. up in different places, like appearing in nightclubs and 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 very strange uh, stories about the basically the old Tijuana. Tijuana mm-hmm. has has changed a lot in the last ten years. Um, 
of of what is historically historically was, um, and um, but I, I I actually went to Tijuana just a couple of times before I shot the movie. Uh, I didn't know that many places, and I actually made up this story from the you know from the ideas that I that I that were really uh, strong to me uh, from picnic at hanging rock and some other references i made up all this story and and it was funny because when we went uh to to make the scouting uh we went to to one one hill that was actually you know very difficult for a for a film crew to shoot there but we went there for scouting and when we were like at the middle of the scouting like we were uh like very far from the top yet and we found an, a really old man in the middle of the of the hill, and he told us he he pointed uh, one cave. He didn't know what we were doing there um, or what we were looking for, but he just pointed a cave that was on the top of the hill, and he told me that in that we should go to that cave because in that cave uh, there was a demon, mm. and I thought it was it was amazing that we actually huh. you know found a place that that matched like the 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 story that we had you know we already had on the on the script so yeah i mean it was it was a long process looking for it uh and we found this that was actually to me you know i i, I like the location it was but it was actually like a, a medium uh a common ground let's say between production and what i what i intended mm. because it was you know actually uh, a, a place where we could access with the cameras and everything right. relatively easily and with the super tight schedule that we had we couldn't afford to lose you know just a couple of hours to to access to a to a location so you know it was it was a very very crazy schedule so we, we you know we needed to to be a bit realistic yeah. so at this point in your filmography you've pretty firmly planted yourself in horror territory and like you mentioned you have uh a a new one coming out already werewolf film very excited for that uh do you see yourself breaking away into any other genres in the future i i really hope not Uh, i you know i i enjoy a lot horror um i you know I, i like every genre i can see everything i enjoy you know even I don't know romantic comedies, whatever you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I I can enjoy it. I can enjoy watching it a lot. Uh, but uh, to me, the idea of of becoming a filmmaker um, has to do with you know being good at something. Like uh, it's I think it's like any other job. Like right. you need to really um, be an expert on something specific. Like you you can say I'm gonna be a doctor and today I'm gonna be a you know, uh, an oculist, and tomorrow I'm going to be a, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, you can jump from one specialty to another. Uh, I think that, that to be really good at something, you need to work on that ground. And uh, that's what I'm, you know, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to 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 work in all this huge field that I, I think it's the horror genre. And actually, you know, Here Comes the Devil was my first really big um, um, 
you know, attempt to do a supernatural film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that there's so many things that I still need to, to look at, you know, to, to try. I never thought I was going to make a werewolf movie. Um, for instance, you know, it's, it's, it's something that was, that always was like out of the, out of the themes and the things that I, that I thought I was going to do. And then I found this script that I thought it was amazing and that had themes that were really appealing to me. And, you know, and I, and I just jumped, uh, on board to to do it so i you know i, I that's what i'm going to try to do i'm going to try to keep finding things that are challenging inside the the horror genre but i I'm, I'm 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 planning to you know to stay on the genre good well i think that most horror fans are will be happy to hear that um Thank just you. Real quickly, any sure. any ideas of when uh, we'll be expected to see this werewolf movie? Does it have a title? Yeah, it's called Late Phases, um, and uh, it's a it's a it's a film that is already shot, and uh, we are very um, uh, we we've worked a lot on the on the editing, and we're right now doing the CG, little CG that we need, you know, to blend some stuff and um, um, so, um, sound design, stuff like that. So I I think we can, you know, we can expect to see it uh, in the first uh, half of next year, hopefully. So uh, let's see. Let's see what's uh, what's the reaction. I mean, it's a, it's it, to me, it's really exciting because it's a, it's a very different take on the on the werewolf genre. Great. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, so you. that you think that'll be like a, doing a festival run, I would assume. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, we we still don't have any any confirmation, but I yeah, I, I would hope to to be you know on the first half of next year. Uh, yeah, on on some on some festivals. Great. Well, festival. Adrian, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me. Thank you, Adam. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Adrian. Here comes the devil set to hit theaters and on video on demand December 13th. All right, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Kevin, we'll start it off with you. This week, we're going to do a little back and forth. So so we're going to we're going to switch it up and do a little like you do one and then I'll do one. And then we'll just we'll do it like that. See how that works. So you can go ahead and get it started. All right. Uh, The first I saw was The Iceman. I saw this. Which is, which is the perfect Thanksgiving movie. I saw this on Thanksgiving. Uh, just just wait till you hear what I saw on Thanksgiving. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, this tells the true story of Richard Klinsky, who was you know a big time hitman, killed like over a hundred people, and I I knew about Klinsky's story. I think there was like some sort of I can't remember what it was if it was the History Channel or some channel had like a expose about him and so when i heard this movie was coming out i got all excited michael shannon's gonna play klinsky oh my god it's gonna be amazing and it's not it's just it it was a huge letdown it just felt like everyone was just sleepwalking through this film just i mean you've seen this film numerous times before yeah it's it's really average yeah, I mean, and it's which is a shame because the original story is actually immensely engaging. Just to hear everything that this guy did, 
And, you know, they're trying to show him as, like, a loving husband, which doesn't come out at all. I mean, he's just cold, distant. And I'm not really seeing him as a loving husband at all. Says he's a devoted father. Again, not really getting that because he's really cold and distant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he, like, there's no complexity to his character at all. And then they try and add this, like, abused childhood thing. And there's a like an emotional exchange between his brothers that just seems crammed in like halfway through the film to like to really try and drive this point home, and it, it to me it just didn't work and it's jumping all over the place. It's 64 and then it goes to 65, then it jumps the whole way to 74, and you're like, wait, what happened for nine years? And they just seem to like fast forward through his everything really. Yeah, and I I thought okay well. Isn't that great? But Michael Shannon's supposed to be amazing in this film. And he is, but at the same time, it's the Michael Shannon that I've seen in numerous other films. It's just now he has changing facial hair and a gun. He's a lot like his character in um, Boardwalk Empire. I mean, it's just, I've seen this Michael Shannon so many times that I just, I wasn't impressed. I mean, it's still good. I'll give it to him. I respect him, but at the same time, it's—I've seen you do it numerous times. I'm sorry. I'm just not that impressed this time around. In the Ice Man, I thought it was like average. I remember when I saw this talking about it on the show, and I was just like, yeah, you know, it, it was entertaining, but it was nothing more yeah. than, than just entertaining. I know. It, it felt like a TV movie, really. I liked Chris Evans' character in this. Chris Evans was ridiculous in this. Uh, David Schwimmer in a ponytail yeah. mustache. He was <laughs> yeah. he was equally ridiculous. I liked him. Uh, Ray Liotta plays surprise a small time thug. Of course, you've never seen that before. Um, Winona Ryder looks completely different. I think she looks good. She does look good, but I was just like, that's Winona Ryder. Yeah. Ow. I don't know if it's just maybe because I haven't seen you haven't her. Seen her. Such a, yeah, I haven't seen her in so long. But, yeah, this was just completely average. Average beyond belief. Manila folder almost. Yeah, yeah. I saw Death Weekend on Thanksgiving. Now, Again, perfect Thanksgiving. Now, the reason that I, that I picked this is, like, I was looking for my, for my Grindhouse Weekly uh, pick. of, And I was like, okay, maybe I'll try to find something Thanksgiving-themed. So I was, like, kind of looking on, online, and I saw a synopsis for this one. Or it was a tagline or something, and... And it looked like it was about this couple that gets away for Thanksgiving and then they get terrorized. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. No mention of Thanksgiving at all in this movie that that I can remember at least or that I picked up on. So there's really no connection to Thanksgiving. And what what the movie really is is just kind of, um, it's like Straw Dogs. It's almost exactly like Straw Dogs. It's about... I was going to say, I read your article, and it sounds exactly like straw dogs. It's about this guy and this girl. He's a den- he's a rich dentist. He's trying to woo this model, and he the, he takes her to his lake house for the weekend. And on the way, the, there's this group of rednecks that come after them and break into the house. They kill him. They rape her, and then turns into this rape revenge film where she comes back and murders all of them in various gruesome ways. Okay. 
the thing about the movie is it's it's well shot, it's well acted, but it's there's nothing original about this movie whatsoever. I mean, this is like by the numbers straw dogs or even deliverance or mm. just or any, any, any of these or, or no the, i spit on your grave is the other one that i was trying to think of yeah so like any other rape revenge exactly no, you've it's seen before. very very similar to all of those apparently in the mid 70s the rape revenge thing was like huge uh, yeah i feel like that, that there was just so many of them that yeah. came out <laughs> it was that and like psychopathic rednecks. Yeah, psychopathic rednecks and rape revenge, big in big in the seventies. And and the thing about the psychopathic rednecks is that the whole time I was thinking like, how are these people like functioning members of society? <laughs> like this is just one little snippet of their lives we're seeing. What do they do for the rest of the time? Do they just like <laughs> do they just run around all day and all night just raping and killing everyone they see? And if so, I know, like it, it, like the snippet that you're seeing is this what they would constitute as like a typical Tuesday? Right. Like if if this is how they live their lives, how are they not dead or in jail yet? I just don't people understand. Just, people just ignore the psychopathic rednecks. Either just way, leave them alone. They won't bother you. They're like bees. This was one of the first films that was produced by Ivan Reitman, who would go on to do things like Ghostbusters. Oh, this is also directed by the guy that did Goosebumps, television series, Goosebumps. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, uh, not really worth recommending. It's, like I said, it's not bad, but it's nothing that we haven't seen before. And Straw Dogs is way better, so just go see Straw Dogs. There you go. I I can definitely get behind that. And again, we have to do this. The original Straw Dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. And I did I, I did uh make sure to put that in the in the article that I'm referring Don't, to the original. I, I, you gotta be with me on that. Don't you hate that? That you have to do that now. Yeah, absolutely. With movies. I, it drives me crazy. Uh I followed it up with uh This is Martin Bonner, which is actually nominated for an independent spirit award. This is a film by Chad Hartigan. Uh, it's his second film, little American indie, about a recently released ex-con who, through some sort of like um, Christian outreach program, he has like mentors. And just to let you know that this is an American indie film, one of those mentors is Robert Longstreet. Hmm. So that way you know that it's a bona fide American indie. And the other guy that is his mentor is a uh, an Australian man. And the ex-con is played by Richard Arquette, which I don't know if that's another Arquette. It just seems like there's entirely too many Arquettes. There's a lot of Arquettes. And it's sort of just them but like forging this unlikely bond because they're sort of going through the same thing. Uh, Arquette's character has been in prison for the last 12 years because of manslaughter, drunk driving charge. And his life is, you know, completely wrecked. He's he's trying to re-enter society. He's trying to find a job. He's trying to reconnect with his daughter, who's now uh, like mid twenties, hasn't seen her for twelve years. And the same is sort of going on with the Australian man, which I can't remember his name. The actor that played him. Sorry, but my internet's not working. But I think it's like Einhorn, which is funny. 
Um, <laughs> and like their their lives are sort of parallel because the the Australian man's sort of going through the same thing. He had to move to Nevada, which is where the story takes place from Maryland. Um, it seems like he had his life completely together, working for a church. He was sort of like a financial advisor. He had two kids, everything was going great, and then something happened. They never really tell you what happened, but everything sort of fell apart on him. He was declaring bankruptcy, got divorced, his son doesn't talk to him anymore. So they're sort of going through the same thing at the same time, and they're, you know, trying to make a fresh start. And for an indie movie, especially an American indie movie, this was quite a surprise. It was very well made um there's not a lot to the story, but there's enough, and it's very, it feels very genuine, very earnest, uh, very tender story, and they don't really get stuck in the same old indie stylings that you see camera-wise. Mm-hmm. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. Can you hit me with one? The, the back of the head? <laughs> the back of the head. There's not much of that, I don't think. But they do have the indie line delivery where the, you know people say something and then they wait like five seconds and the other person says something. There's just all this waiting between their discussions and it's like if you can get past that, that's the only hurdle really that's within this film. If you can get past that, I think you'll thoroughly enjoy. This is Martin Bonner, and the I, I had some people or I saw some people sort of complain about how it ended because it ends very abruptly. I mean, it doesn't really answer any questions, but I thought that it was actually pretty um, perfect given what, what the story was. You just sort of drift into their lives, and then you drift out. Hmm. There's really no closure to anything. I mean, you swore to get it a little bit, but there's really no conclusion to the whole ordeal. And it, it, definitely a surprise from 2013, I have to say. Interesting. I, I definitely, I definitely recommend this, and it's actually uh, play instant on Netflix. I was actually gonna watch this last night, and then I watched something else instead that I'll get to, which was a huge mistake. But <laughs> anyway, um, I saw Diamond on Vinyl, which is uh, also an indie, a little indie. Um, there you go. Do they have the back of the headshot? Probably. I can't remember any specific ones. But I'm sure they do. Anyway, this is about... This is a really interesting story. It plays out like a thriller, like a psychological thriller, but there there are no thrills in this. It's a very straightforward uh, drama. Even though they, they, like, ramp up the suspense and you think that something's going to happen, like, you can feel the tension building. And... But it doesn't go anywhere, and I think that that's kind of the point of it. But mm-hmm. basically, it's about this this couple. They are recently engaged. They get a hotel room for a, a fun night of celebrating their recent engagement, some champagne, some sex. And then the next day, the the girl wakes up and finds a digital recorder hidden underneath the bed finds out that her fiance was recording them having sex and not only that but he she also finds that he rehearsed his proposal conversation with her so not just like what he was going to say but like the whole conversation and it turns out that he is kind of obsessed with conversations and every almost every conversation he has he kind of scripts out and rehearses Mm-hmm. before he 
engages in that conversation. Doesn't, I have to say, doesn't everyone do that? Because I do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might find this, uh, this guy really relatable then, but... <laughs> and he he has these he has these records called Safe Sounds or Safe and Sound or something like that that came out in the seventies where when people would go out they would put these records on and it would it'd be con- conversations between a husband and a wife and it would make it sound like somebody was home you know okay yeah okay okay and gotcha. so he he's like obsessed with these records he's listening to them he knows them by heart and. At any rate, the the relationship goes on the rocks, and then this this girl comes in, and she's played by um, uh, Sanja Kinski, the granddaughter of Klaus Kinski. Mm, okay. And she kind of injects herself into their lives, like she she becomes enamored with these two people and sort of falls in love with both of them in a way. And so she's trying to get closer to them and help them with their relationship. And it's it's a very odd film. And when I first saw it, I was kind of like, eh, that was okay. I mean, it didn't really go anywhere. There wasn't, you know, a whole lot going on in the plot. But the more I thought about it, the more I, I began to appreciate it. And I, I do have a full review for it up on the site. And I, I don't think it's a film for everyone. In fact, I think most people probably won't like this movie. But there was yeah. just something about it after sitting with it for a couple days that I was just like, huh. Like, I, I really I really get that. Like, the development of the characters was done in such a way that I just really appreciated it. Like, there's all these kind of subtle things that they put into the film. You know, and it was essentially about this guy who, like, he he begins to learn that okay, maybe my enti- my life shouldn't be rehearsed and planned out like this. Maybe I yeah. shouldn't be doing these <clears throat> things. You know, and it was just really interesting. It was just like a really interesting character piece, and hmm. I, I quite liked it actually. Okay. It was, it was yeah, cool. I'm, I'm definitely interested in this. I mean, it's. I, ne- I never even heard anything about. It. Yeah, it's uh, it's on demand. I think by the time this airs, it'll be on demand, okay. and it's going to be in some select cities coming up sometime soon. I think maybe the seventh, like this Friday or something. Okay. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what the release date's looking like for this, but yeah, it's it's an interesting watch. I enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, I watched a Yugoslavian film from 1967. This is from, yeah, from Dusan Mikajev, which he's actually slowly becoming one of my favorite directors. Um, This is one criterion. It's called Love Affair or the Case of the Missing Switchboard Operator. This is actually his second film that he's ever made. And it's got, this is part of like, he was the preeminent figure of the Yugoslavian new wave, which apparently in the sixties, everything was just slapped with the new wave title. And so you got a lot of that, uh, aesthetically speaking with the camera work and everything, black and white, a lot of handheld, a lot of natural lighting, all those types of things. I mean, it looks exactly like a French new wave film, but they're speaking Yugoslavian Mm. or Serbian or some language. I don't know. Um, so it's got a lot of that feel to it, but what he adds to these films is 
he goes off on these tangents within his films. So he adds like little cinematic footnotes to what's going on in the actual story. So in the case of Love Affair, it's just a simple story of a switchboard operator named Isabella falling in love with a rat exterminator named Ahmed. And they start dating, they fall in love, they move in together, and it seems like they just they're having the greatest relationship ever. But what happens is they'll cut out and he'll cut to, you know, it sort of turns into this police procedural where they're fishing a dead body out of a well. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then there's like a criminologist talking to you and it sort of turns into like a documentary. And he's telling you about, you know, the motives that most murderers have and how they try and get away with it. And, you know, the things that police are trying to incorporate to make it easier to find out who the murderer is and all this stuff. And you're just like, okay, what's this have to do with anything? But then it cuts back to the love story. So you're going along and then it'll cut back. And now they're doing the autopsy on the girl that they fished out of the well. And they're sort of bagging up her personal effects. And one of them is a necklace and they put it in and they bag it up and everything. And then it immediately cuts back to the love story that you're seeing. And it's her fishing out the necklace from behind her lover's back while they're laying in bed. So like right off the bat, you're like, oh, okay. She at some point is going to die. Mm. It's just a matter of who did it and why they did it. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, Ahmed's a rat exterminator. So he goes off on this tangent and he sort of gives you like a brief history of like gray rats invading Europe and what they did to try and, you know, to to fight against it and the gray rat versus the brown rat and who won and all this stuff. And it's so unbelievably dense. But at the same time, this is only 68 minutes long. He's able to cram all this in in an hour and eight minutes. And it's it's quite remarkable the way that he's able to do it he's just able to just i mean he just flips from one mode to the other and you're just on board with everything you're like yeah this is great i see exactly where you're going with this i think i'm gonna have to see this yeah i i would actually say um in the case of because i've only seen the two films from him i've saw his first and his second the first one being man is not a bird and second one of course being love affair man is not a bird is a much better film there's a lot more going on, and I think you probably enjoy that one more than this one. But I suggest both of them, actually, because I think he's a director that should be discussed a lot more. Because, hmm. I mean, when you when you see it, you know, the cam- the cinematography and everything, it it's extremely familiar. You just automatically assume, oh, French New Wave, okay, I got it. It's just, you know, the guy didn't have any money, so he's doing exactly what the French New Wave did, because they didn't have any money. Right. Uh, I saw Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Oh, yeah? Loved it. It was... Now, have you ever seen Alan Partridge? I've seen clips and such. So you haven't seen any of, like... No, the not, not old, like, full... The old episodes or specials or any of that. Well, I've seen a few. Uh, I tried to... I think at one point... The the his first series or maybe one of the series was on Netflix and I watched it. It's not there anymore at any rate, but it was a long time ago that I did try to watch them and I didn't finish. But I went ahead and saw Alan Partridge Alpha Papa. It is absolutely hilarious. It's one of the funniest movies of the year, hands down. Oh, I'm gonna have to see it. I was laughing 
nonstop throughout this whole movie. No, not not nonstop. That's a stretch, but it, it is very Close. very funny. Steve Coogan is uh, amazing in this. Like almost, I mean, you and I, you and I have similar things that we like in comedies, like the little throwaway lines. You know, like that's mm-hmm. that's like one of the things that that we both like. And with this. Like literally every line that is out of comes out of his mouth is a ridiculous throwaway line, and it's one of those things where you know, like in certain movies, you remember the lines, like you remember specific throwaway lines. With this one, you'd probably have to watch it a few times because he says so many that Mm. you're just you don't even know. But uh, so basically, the the plot is that it's. There was a a takeover, a corporate takeover of Alan's radio station. He plays a DJ, if you're not familiar with the character. Very popular character in the UK. And there's a takeover. They let go of one of the DJs, played by Cole Meany, and he comes back with a gun and holds the place hostage. Sort of like Airheads. But Oh, Airheads, what's up? But much, much funnier than Airheads. And he, so he agrees to only communicate with the police through Alan Partridge. And so Alan has to relay messages back and forth. And of course, as a result, it starts getting media coverage and news coverage. And Alan starts seeing himself on the news. And naturally, he lets it go to his head. And he kind of plays up the whole like hero negotiator thing. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's goofy. It's silly but it is very smartly written and it is just absolutely hilarious cannot recommend it enough even if you don't know the character of alan partridge there's there's certain things that happen in this movie that are kind of throwbacks to some of the other stuff that he did but it's it's not a necessity to know like the whole story behind alan partridge this can act as a standalone thing and right. and it's incredible. All right. Yeah, I want to see it badly now. Yeah. Very badly. The other film I saw was Shoot the Piano Player, which is uh, Truffaut's second film after The 400 Blows, uh, which are the only two Truffauts I've ever seen, oddly enough, even though I'm a big fan of the French New Wave. Uh, 400 Blows was meh. I'm going to have to revisit that one. But Shoot the Piano Player was actually quite, quite fun. It's sort of his... Um, sort of his stylings infused with like an American crime film from 1960, and just it's it's just a lot of fun. I mean, I talked about it in the last film, got everything here, all the French new new wave film style, you know, the camera work, everything, handheld tracking, black and white, all that stuff, the jump cuts, the jazzy rhythm that these films have. Everything. I mean, it's just, it's right up my alley. It was so much fun. It's just a guy that gets caught up in, with his brother's thuggery. And I mean, he used to be this big time concert pianist, and now he's just, something happened in his life. And he's sort of starting fresh, so he's work, just working at a bar, just pounding away on the piano, just to make a living, just to get by. And his brother runs into him because, and this is the thing that I loved about Shoot the Piano Player, is... When you you figure out what the entire story is, he gets caught up in this because of his two brothers and them double-crossing 
their gangster friends. But what you find out is that their gangster friends were, they, his brothers went straight. They were just working a regular job at a place. These two gangsters come in to rob the place, and the two brothers decide, hey, let's just join you. Let's rob the place that we work. We'll just walk out of here, split it four ways. Let's do it. So the guys that come in originally to rob the place are like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. And then later on down the road, the two brothers double-cross them, just ditch them, take the money, and they're gone. So these two gangsters are just like the dumbest people you've ever seen in your entire life, which is even more, that fact is driven home even more by every scene that involves the two gangsters. They're just bumbling idiots. They have ridiculous conversations with the people that they kidnap. They actually end up kidnapping the youngest brother, who's only like 13 years old, and they're just trying to impress him with all the stuff that they have, and the kid's not buying it. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's funny. It's, you know, a crime caper. It's got it's got a little bit of everything. There's some dark elements to it. It's drama. It's got everything. It's just, I absolutely loved it. I think it's a fantastic film. Can't recommend it enough. Hmm. There you go. Shoot the piano player. The, the only other ones that I saw, I'm, I'm just going to knock out these two because they're kind of related. I saw The Faculty. I rewatched The Faculty. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. I forgot that movie existed. Yeah, uh, so I saw The Faculty and Slither uh, both on Netflix and I, I kind of put them in the same category as like these sci-fi horror things uh, with bad CG. Like The CG in both of these movies is Terrible. completely atrocious. I do have to say I forgot that Robert Rodriguez yeah. did The Faculty. I completely forgot that. Robert Rod- so the faculty directed by Robert Rodriguez features like Jordana Brewster from the Fast and Furious movies, uh Josh Hartnett, Selma Hayek, Famke Jensen, Piper Laurie, Christopher McDonald, um oh, Usher, sure. Robert Pat- Newworth. Yeah, Robert Patrick. I- John Stewart, Elijah Wood. I do remember John Stewart being this and being absolutely terrible. He was at, awful. What happened to Josh Hartnett? I don't know. I'm not. What even, happened to him? Like, what's what's he doing? Is he alive? He's alive. I I feel like I maybe saw something like an ad or he was like he's one of those guys that like Hollywood was trying to cram down our throats, sort of like the Taylor Kitsch type deal, where they're like. He, we're going to put him in everything. You're going to love him. And you're like, please just stop. Remember? And then uh, he just completely yeah. disappeared. Like Devin Sawa. Oh my God, Devin <laughs> Sawa. Uh, wow. I, the last thing I remember Josh Hartnett being in was 30 Days a Night. Mm, that was back yeah. in 2007. Yeah. But there's, a, oh my God, there's actually an article called Whatever Happened to Josh Hartnett? <laughs> <laughs> Investigative reporting. Yep, uh, that sounds like a complete waste of time. Much like the faculty, uh, this was actually pretty bad. Didn't really hold up. D- didn't hold up so well over time. Uh-huh. I mean, th- this is the movie that everybody always gets confused with disturbing behavior because they both came out like right around the same time. They're both similar. Yeah. Um, it's not very good. Like, it's unbelievable to me that Robert Rodriguez made this movie because. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It, it doesn't really contain anything like what Robert Rodriguez has ever done. 
it just feels very cookie cutter and very Hollywood. Um, Slither, on the other hand, I still really enjoy. It's I've been meaning to rewatch Slither for a long time and just finally got around to it last night. And the the CG is much worse than I remembered it being, but they still did use a lot of practical effects in that movie that looked really good, like mm-hmm. really gross. And I still really like that movie a lot. Nathan Fillion is in it, and he's really funny. Jenna Fisher's in it. She plays a very small role. And it's probably one of the first movies I've ever seen Elizabeth Banks in. So hey, I'm going to I'm gonna have to check this out. Yeah, they're both on Netflix Instant. Uh, you know, if you grew up when we did, the faculty's probably going to bring back some nostalgia for you. So maybe it's, you know, light recommend on that. <laughs> I just want to watch the scene with Jon Stewart. Yeah, he's he's the science teacher. Yeah, I just remember it being awful. Like he's absolutely terrible. He is terrible. Like the the creature bites him, and it's just really Such sad. A, he's a terrible actor. I love him, but he's a terrible actor. Yeah, I mean, is he even an actor? Like I'd say he's just more of a comedian. It just well, it didn't work out he, for him. Yeah, I'm glad that he stopped stopped that whole experiment, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> Uh, that's that's it. That's yeah. That's all I got. Okay, I'm done too. All right. Boom. All right. Let's talk about Spike Lee's old boy. We have Ernie back on the show. Ernie, welcome. Oh, thank you, sir. All right. This is directed by Spike Lee. Obviously, stars Josh Brolin, Elizabeth Olsen, Samuel L. Jackson, Charlotte Copley. Uh, The synopsis says, Obsessed with vengeance, a man sets out to find why he was kidnapped and locked into solitary confinement for 20 years without reason. Now, of course, we've all seen the original many times over, I would assume. Um, Me, it would actually only have been twice. You only saw it twice? Kevin, how many times did you see the original? Uh, Two and a half. Two and a half? Okay. This is, it, it was play instant on Netflix a while ago and I finally talked my wife into seeing it so we'd load it up and everything and it was the dubbed version yeah so like Damn. 10 minutes in I was I was like nope we're not doing this this is not going to be the first time that you see old boy but I went back and actually watched it last night with fingers crossed that it wasn't the dubbed version and it wasn't it was the subtitled version so I got okay so the subtitled version sure Pure old boy. Because I did see it on mm. on the Netflix list. So the one that's on Netflix Instant now is the subtitled one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it I is. think. Yeah, that's the one I watched uh, uh, recently. So. Okay. I didn't realize they even put the English dub version on there. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I didn't. Ridiculous. I didn't know that they still did that. <laughs> I thought that that was something that we all agreed should never be. Yeah, done I don't think ever. they do it very often anymore. No, they sh- they never should. Really, honestly. I mean, if you're not going to take the time to watch the subtitles, then mm-hmm. you shouldn't deserve to watch the film in the first place. The only the only um, exception to that rule, I would say, is the Studio Ghibli stuff when they get actual like you know big name actors to do the voices. Yeah, I mean they yeah, they, but... they put effort into it. Yeah. in that yeah. regard. But that one is still. I would want to try to watch the original language version. Um, uh, the Wind Rises was the original dub, so I don't know if I'd want to see the English language version. So. It depends on who they get for the voice. I've seen a lot of like Studio Ghibli stuff dubbed and subtitled, and the, the, and I, it doesn't detract from it for me. 
it does it doesn't but i and i don't know how this is going to come out but hearing like little asian kids screaming <laughs> just puts a huge fu- huge smile on my face <laughs> just that they have so much happiness that I'm just so jealous. Of yeah, like my neighbor Totoro, I would definitely. <laughs> oh my god, they're just running <laughs> yeah. around screaming. I would, and I would so definitely recommend happy. the the subtitled one. The new, the new yeah. Blu-ray release of that has both. So. Oh my god, I'm buying that thing right now. Yeah. All right, let's talk about old boy. So Ernie, you saw this a while ago now. Yeah. And you have the yeah. review up on the site. So Kevin, I think I think I could probably guess where you're gonna go with this, but we'll we'll start with you. <laughs> And get your thoughts. What did you think of Old Boy? Uh, Old Boy, the American version, they reduced it to shit. <laughs> they took out all the complexity of the original and just made it your standard American force feeding you just bullshit after bullshit. It's it's fucking terrible. I kind of I hated I, it. I, I kind of <laughs> thought that you would go that direction. Now I I I I was actually very excited to go see this. I I don't know why, but something happened. There was just so much old boy talk that I was like, I I want to see old boy now. And then we actually found a theater around here. There was only one theater playing it, and I I just lost my shit. And I was like, yes, we're going to see old boy because we were originally going to go see Dallas Buyers Club, and I just mm-hmm. lost my shit. And I was like, I have to see old boy. Hmm. And I wish I saw Dallas Buyers Club. Um, did you uh, did you happen to see the original before you saw the remake, or was it after? I saw the original before, and then after I watched the the American remake, I went back last night and watched the original. So I got yeah. both of them fresh. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I, I actually had the reverse where I saw it, the original ten years ago. I thought it was great, and never saw it again. Then saw the remake, and then. Didn't have time to watch the original again, so I watched the original the same night. So I had a flipped comparison. So. We'll see that. That's... Well, no, 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 no. That's actually what I did. Like oh. I, I saw this way back when, like me and Adam first saw it in I, probably 2003. Right? It was the same I year think it we came saw it out. when it first came. Yeah. yeah, I saw it then, and then when I saw the American remake, and everything was just so ridiculous to me. Like I was almost afraid to go back and watch the original because I was like, maybe I remembered it wrong. Maybe it is ridiculous. So I sat I sat myself down last night and watched the original. And no, it wasn't ridiculous. It was so much well done compared to the American remake. I was like, okay, yeah, the Americans just fucked it up. Well, surprise. I, I predicted that I would probably be sitting somewhere in the middle between the two of you, and and I think that that's where I am. Like, I didn't I didn't necessarily like it, and I was really hoping that. It was gonna be, it it wasn't gonna feel unnecessary. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It it feels completely unnecessary. Like yes, yes, it this does. this probably didn't have to be made. I was hoping that it was gonna be different enough that it was gonna be something that I felt was new and maybe just more relevant than the original one that came out ten years ago. Unfortunately, that was not the case maybe some of the technology that they use in it was a little bit more updated there were certain things that i thought that i liked a little bit better in the remake and i will probably have to talk about that in spoilers but um there there was just so much like one of the things that i was really excited for was the hammer scene right like that's one of the big culminating scenes 
in the original, mm-hmm. and I knew it was going to be one of the big culminating scenes in this one, and it felt so tacked on to me. I oh, didn't yes. understand. It felt like they just put it in there out of nowhere because the, there's no transition. Like, it's just this random cut to him, like, in the hallway. It was almost like everything was set up and staged, and it felt just really weird. And the scene itself, I thought, was great. Like, it was well shot, and I liked that they did it all in one take and everything. And it, mm-hmm. I thought that it looked really good. But I, it just it didn't feel right. Like it didn't fit in. I for me it was I, the the American and this is what I hate about remakes so much is that now I have to say I like old boy the Korean version <laughs> opposed to the American version. Like I have to take extra time. You have to yeah now to explain mm. which movie I like. I fucking hate that. But <laughs> we're talking about the hammer scene. The American version felt like a video game. And it just felt, it felt silly, really. Uh, I kind of, I kind of liked how they uh, he expanded on that because, for me, after seeing Old Boy once and being so far removed from it, the, there are only two things, I, three things I remembered were the corridor fight, uh, the ending, and uh, Minsuk Choi's performance. But uh, taking those away, like the Old Boy was not fresh in my mind at any point. So, so I went, saw saw Spike Lee's version. I was like. Yeah, I like that. And then I saw the the original again. I'm like, yeah, a lot of things are I don't like like buy into right away now. My suspension of disbelief is not as easygoing as it was ten years ago, thirteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, I just I, in in the original, I just loved like the exhaustion that was captured on the film, like in that corridor scene where they mm-hmm. just they all get tired. Yeah. And he's down on the ground. He got stabbed in the back. They're kicking the shit out of him. And you're like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. And then he gets back up. And the the only thing, one of the big things that bothered me is the, I really wish that the American version had that chubby, chubby guy with the, with the bum knee. <laughs> if you remember that, I don't know if you remember that from the original, <laughs> the guy just, just like a lot of apprehension where he's like the only one that's going after the main character, and he's just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then it just resorts to them, like, throwing pieces of wood at him. And it's just, it was so amazing. Just the way that they soundtracked it, the way that the camera really didn't move at all, it just stayed static there. It was just leaps and bounds better than the American version, where American version just seems silly and sort of, like, tongue-in-cheek, where he's, like, kicking him in the nuts, and the guy's like, oh. <laughs> I don't, know. Just, I, don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I, yeah, understand, was, I understand what I, you're saying. I do understand what you're saying, and I, I did like the original one. The that fight in the original and, better, of course. But and I don't know that like because I heard that, and I don't know how true this is because I didn't have a stopwatch. But but they were saying that the the American remake is like three times longer than the oh, original. Yeah. yeah, easily. I mean, I didn't. Without that's even weird. using a stopwatch, I didn't. I noticed that that fight was shorter in the original. Yeah, that's weird. That uh, that's weird because the, when I was watching the original last night, I'm like, this feels just as long. Hmm. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if I was just like more invested into it that I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. Just the way that they soundtracked with the blaring classical music and just how they would t- they all took a break at the same time. And they're just like catching their breath. Yeah. There's just there's so much more complexity in the original compared to the American version. Now, 
Now, Kevin, you're not a huge fan of Josh Brolin. You said that before on the show, and mm-hmm. I like him quite a bit. But you know, I was expecting, I was expecting a little bit more. I thought that he did, he did a good job, but n- nowhere near um, the the guy that played in the original Old Boy, especially yeah. like towards mm. the end when there was just like that complete devastation and like emotional breakdown. Like I, I didn't quite. Yeah. Yeah. buy into it as much with with no. Brolin. No. But as far as performances... That could, I, that could also be uh, Spike Lee's it, yeah. fault for not pushing him further than he, than he decided to go. If, yeah, of course. I mean, that that could definitely... I yeah, mean, I, I, I think, think... I think I think a lot of fault lays on Spike that's exa- Lee. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just about to say. Uh, Charlotte, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, that performance was just one of the most ridiculous things I've seen this year outside of Brad Pitt in 12 Years a Slave. That was atrocious. <laughs> it was definitely I mean, odd. it felt like it felt like he was supposed to be in some like knockoff Bond film. I think, well, okay. Yeah. One thing that I guess we could note is that I think that this movie is more based off of the manga than the other movie. Maybe, maybe not. Because um, I remember noting during the credits that it just said based on the original screenplay. Oh, did really? Okay. And there's only a, there was only a handful of elements that came out of the manga, which includes the. Uh, um, I don't think it's much of a spoiler, but they visit a two uh, Olsen and Brolin visit a character uh, later on in the film that's actually from the manga. Oh. That was never that was not in the original version. I have the manga and I've read it. I just don't I don't remember specific things that happen and i, I did what is I, i'm sorry i've never read the manga so could you please enlighten me it was who's the character that's in the manga but not in the original film is it the teacher um is that who you're the, referring to yeah the teacher teacher yeah oh, okay okay yeah because that i remember that wasn't in the original one either the original film um I was actually going to try and read the manga before I wanted to see this, and then I realized how many volumes there were. I'm like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I did read the whole thing, but uh, I remember almost nothing at this point about it, so <laughs> I, I can't, I can't say what the differences are. Um, I guess one of the big things that I, that I think we need to talk about is the ending, and I guess we will have to go into. Can we? Can we? discuss something else right before we go into like the spoiler section because yeah. there's another part that doesn't spoil the movie that I want to talk about real quick and that's the the beginning I mean to me like last night when I'm watching the original old boy I'm like 30 minutes in oh, and I'm oh, like holy shit yeah. they they went through like an hour and a half of Spike Lee's material already much much better in 30 minutes and one of the things that really bugged me with the original or I'm not sorry, not the original, the American. See, this is what I hate about remakes. <laughs> is the extended sequence of Josh Brolin being drunk? Are you fuck? Like, how long do I have to see this guy just stumbling around, yelling out and making guttural sounds, <laughs> and just fucking pissing and throwing up on himself? I'm like, I get it. He fucking drinks. All right, he's a drinker. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's the complexity that the original had, where. It starts to film off. He's in, you know, the police station yeah. and he's drunk. Yeah. But you don't really know. Like, is he drunk like this all the time? Or is this just a one time thing? What's going on here? But in the the American remake, they just 
hammer you with him drinking, drinking, drinking. That's all you see. And you're like, I fucking get it. Okay. Can we move on? Well, that the, yeah, besides besides that, they also pretty much established that yeah, he really is an asshole. So unlike yeah. the unlike the original, the, so exactly the the original is ambiguous. You don't really know if he's an asshole or not. Right. You're just sort of like thrown into this guy's life, and you're like, uh, what's going on? Why why was he? I mean, you're in the same mindset as him. Why is he in prison? What did he do? Yeah, exactly. The American remake. I didn't get that. I'm just like, this guy's a fucking dick. Yeah. We know he did something. Well, that that actually reminds me of another thing at the beginning of the film. The I thought that they used there was so much overt exposition in the beginning of the film. Like when he's sitting at the desk at the office and he's like, you know, like having the conversation with his ex-wife or whatever and he's just she's 3 years old. My daughter is 3 years old and like, you know, just <laughs> just all these like establishing things that they were setting up felt so yeah. obvious to me and and maybe that's just because of seeing the original and like yeah, i knew very likely because because i mentioned that there really aren't that many surprises in this one because if you've seen the original so and it, but i mean that's an that's another thing that sort of bothered me is like in the american josh brolin he's just an asshole to his wife he's a fucking dick mm-hmm. and in the original you have no idea what the relationship is like you don't even know if they're really together are they together? Is he paying child support? Are they divorced? What I mean, what's going on? There's no really any bad blood between them that the viewer actually sees, unlike the the American version where you're like, okay, they're divorced. He's always late on uh, child support. He's a drunk and he's an asshole. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- that's the thing that bothers me about American remakes is they force feed you all this stuff. There's no like. It's all heavy-handed all the time. I can't stand it. Yeah, they they bring they make everything very very surface level in these types of things. Uh, Ernie, is there anything else you want to add before we jump into spoilers? Nope. Let's just jump right into it. Okay. So we are in a spoiler section now for Old Boy. We'll have the time code in the show notes. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can go ahead and skip over this part. Uh, the big thing is the ending. the The changes they made. With the ending, Kevin, what do you think about how they they switched up the kind of the familial stuff with Charlotte Copley's character and how they did that all that stuff? Uh, number one, Charlotte Copley gives the worst performance of the year. Second, <laughs> the changes that they made are atrocious. And third. I loved the filming of the sequence where they're doing the flashback where the father's going around shooting everyone with a shotgun. I love the way that they filmed it. Now, <clears throat> what was sort of in that moment is what the fuck is their relationship? He walks into the daughter's room and she just immediately starts on her. She's like, hey, dad. Mm. And he kills her. And then he goes down to the, the son and he immediately starts taking his pants off. He's like, hey, daddy. And I'm like, does he just fuck his children all the time? <laughs> yeah. What? There's there's never a time where he's not having sex with his kids. Like, are, They know everyone else is in the house. Do you not hear shotgun blasts? Yeah, that's I mean, true. It's, there's not a silencer on the damn thing. So, and I mean, people are in the house. You know, people are in the house. So, did he just like roam around fucking everyone in his family? <laughs> Seems that way. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things I liked uh, 
from the original when I watched the original, the one thing that bothered me was uh, the actor who played the Charlto counterpart seemed too young to be yeah. someone who was in the yeah, same he, class he did. as, yeah, as the other I, I would I would definitely that, that, agree with that, that. That would always confuse me. I'm like, who is this right. guy? I'm like, oh, it was like, and then when I'm watching when he's talking, when he's laying it out, what his plan was, I'm like, but you look like you're only 30. Yeah, that, that <laughs> did seem kind of deceptive. And, um, and I like the fact that with Granite Car- uh, Copley was over the top in this one, that the character itself was... Well, and the original, I believe it was just strictly that he was just in an ancestral relationship with his sister. Right. And then, and then his sister decided to kill herself for it. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that in this one, in the English language version, he is basically just as fucked up as Roland is that his entire freaking family is ancestral. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, Whereas the other one is like just like okay, just get online, just gonna get revenge for my sister. But this one is like, yeah, I'm gonna make you fuck your daughter and then kill myself. So like, yeah, and, yeah, and, he's more he's more seedy and fucked up. So. Yeah, and it, it, to me, like I couldn't get they I, they just added too much. Like the whole TV show, the fake TV show. Mm-hmm. And where you know where he takes them down, and he shows them the sets and all the actors yeah. that he hired, and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Well, he, I'm sorry, I can't buy into this. This is ridiculous. Okay, so to to that point, I will agree that it is kind of far fetched, but you have to admit that in the original one, the the way that he manipulated the the father and the daughter to sleep together was also pretty pretty far fetched. I mean, with the subliminal messaging and the conditioning and you know all that stuff that's one of the things that kind of pulled me out and it's like i barely remembered the whole uh post-hypnotic suggestion angle and then when i saw i was like yeah i'm not buying into that so much now that's why it had such why i actually prefer the vet not not the end end but the very 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 end of the remake to the original because it it all ties into that post-hypnotic thing and like yeah, I wasn't buying into that anymore. Like, so kind of like took away, it took me out. But whereas this one is just more straightforward and wraps things up in a bow and sends you on away. Well, that's it. That's that's the thing that I always have a problem with. I, I mean, yeah, the, the when I saw the original and I'm seeing the post hypnotic therapy and everything, I'm like, ah, that's a little hard to buy into. But in all honesty, that's easier to buy into than a guy that has a TV studio in his basement where he has a cavalcade of actors <laughs> on his payroll <laughs> and he's making these ridiculous uh, episodes for this for this TV show that doesn't even exist and he pipes it into Josh Brolin and I'm just like, this is ah, I'm sorry, this is sort of ridiculous. I, I can't get into it. Well, I think more than anything the the big problem I have with that is the fact that how would you how would you inject that fake TV show into a normal station with the programming like you'd have to switch inputs on the TV or something you'd have to change the channel like I feel like he would notice that, that the switch he, took place I think he established in some way that Roland is being manipulated location to location and uh, I mean how else to explain that. He somehow has a feed into their motel room. 
<laughs> well, maybe. Because I'm like thinking that. But maybe, I mean, also, also watches is pre-recorded. Yeah, and they, and I, I think it, that's they what it is. It and e- even if they do like a transition, all they have to do is pump in the gas, knock that's them out, true. and then yeah, they, make the transition. That's true. They could mm. do it that way. Well, uh, either way, I also wanted to talk about the very, very end where he decides to go voluntarily go back into the hotel and live out his mm. days. Oh, dude, yeah. fuck that. I thought that that was the <laughs> most ridiculous Andy. thing. Fuck that, Andy. That was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. It ruins all the ambiguity, all the complexity of the goddamn story. Oh, my God. I didn't. I just didn't understand. <sighs> like, okay, we're supposed to think that he's, he's punishing himself for doing this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sorry. I just I don't feel like he would do that to himself. I feel like, if anything, he'd kill himself, you know? He wouldn't voluntarily go back into the place where he was stuck for 20 years. Like, yeah. if anything, he'd be... Well, you just discovered you just screwed your own daughter. Maybe he would. Yeah, but still, he wrote, he wrote yeah, that yeah. I mean, the, He wrote that letter to her. and Well, you do, you do have to understand that this is something that I don't think anyone can put their, their selves no, into no. this position. Like, well, if I fucked my own daughter, <laughs> this is what I would do. Like I don't think anyone can go there, but I, I one of the main things that I because I think uh, Ernie did talk about it earlier is like at the, the end of the original, Min Suk Choi does this like unbelievable breakdown. Oh yeah, just yeah. like it. I mean, he takes his performance to a whole nother level, and this this film becomes something completely different through yeah. that breakdown in that final scene, yeah. and in the in the American remake, there's I mean, there's really nothing. Yeah. It's yeah. just sort of, uh, it ends. I guess they figured there's no way they're going to be able to match that, my guess. Because I was like, I think I put, put in my review, review you got to be like Brando if you're going to pull something like that off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the, the way that he just breaks down into like an animal and he's, yeah. right, he's scurrying around like a dog, <laughs> yeah. cuts out his tongue, like all this shit that he does. And you're just like, oh, my God. He and just not even that, wrecked. even the, even the guy's reaction to it. He's like, yeah, and I mean, you're just like, like, oh my god, he wrecked his entire life. This is the greatest revenge film I've ever seen. Yeah, he just reduced mm. him to nothing. Yeah, and in the American version, you're just like, oh, he walked back to the prison and gave diamonds and yep. imprisoned himself. Well, I, okay, yeah, it just which just wasn't nearly as powerful. No, not at all. I didn't. And that's what, and, it, and I mean, the, and that's the thing. Like, and then you go further with the with the original, where he goes to the the hypnotist, has himself hypnotized, and his daughter comes up, and they embrace, and then he has that like wide grin, mm-hmm. and it's sort of left very ambiguous. Like, did it work? Did the hypnot hypnotism work? Is he going to try and make it through? And it plays into this running theme of like you know laugh and the world laughs with you and weep and you weep alone, and all those things that they've this theme that they've strung through the entire original and all of that is like completely gone in the American version. Yeah, I thought it looked. To me, it felt much more Hollywood than I expected. Just the overall mm-hmm. look and tone of the American one. And I, I thought that that just goes along with, like you were saying, like a, a lot of these themes that they just took out or, you know, subverted. Yeah, and I mean, like, the, the main character in the original, like, the meaning of his name and, 
like the things that his daughter says while they're having sex and when it's played back to him, mm, yeah. it just it makes it so much more complex. There's so many layers to it that you're like, holy shit, he just fucked his entire life. I've never seen this happen to anyone ever. And then in the second one, it's just sort of like, yeah, you fucked your daughter. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> you know, well, that's, you more, that's more of an American way to think. Yeah. It's like American shorthand, I guess, is basically how <laughs> the speckly old boy turns out to be. <laughs> There you go. But I, but I, I, I like, like that. Well, here, I like here's it. the thing. I I think I liked it, but w- what I'm trying to do is imagine if the original old boy didn't exist. Try try to imagine if that didn't exist, and you saw Spike Lee's old boy, and it was the only one that you've seen, and try to separate yourself from from the original. Mm-hmm. Would you like it more? Yeah. Would you think it yeah, was cause... a better movie? And I think that I would. I'd probably be really into it. It's basically because it's fresh. I mean, you've never seen a story and level of vengeance on to that degree right. in a movie, let alone flat out having an incest uh, angle as the main yeah. screw in the entire feature. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, pun, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> so, but... Um, but uh, I was like thinking that is like if this is uh, if this is the version that if you never heard of, never seen the original, and never happened, then this you probably say this is a fantastic film. Yeah, and then, I, and then someone will do a I, remake of it. So. I, I I mean, there's a part of me that agrees. There's another part of me that I, I mean, I always find that very difficult to just try and. I think it's hard. Yeah, imagine absolutely. that something doesn't exist. But I think that that would, plays into the original old boy being so powerful. It's that it was this revenge film that had some Hollywood aspects into it, but not, you know, overriding the depth that the original had and just the type of story that you've never seen before in your entire life. And it just floored you when you saw it back in 2003. You were just like, holy shit, are you kidding me? Korea, good on you. Yeah. (laughs) This is unbelievable. And one of the big things that struck me watching the original after, after watching the American remake is... The original is not really that violent at all. No. They don't show m- almost any of the violence that they do mm. in the American remake, which sort of makes the American violence just like them catering, pandering to the American audience like, hey, you're going to love this. It's dark. You you didn't get to see it in the mm. Korean version, but we're going to give it to you full on. Well, the yeah, but I, I think that the Korean version is, is violent. It's just... It's like they intensified the moments that are violent, and then it's like they focus them on these specific parts, like the tongue-cutting scene. Yeah, and there's one that's great where, because, I mean, like the tongue-cutting scene, they don't really actually show him cutting his tongue. No, but it's still... I know, it's still, it's implied, it's implied, and that's what I'm talking about, the complexity that's there. Because take, like, when he comes in and hits the guy that's at the desk with the hammer. In the Korean version, he's just holding it, and they just they freeze on that frame for I don't know how long, and they just do a dotted line to the guy's head, and then that's it. Oh, I love that. They I never they never that. show him. Yeah, they never Ooh. show him actually like clubbing it into his head, nothing like that. And then in the American version, of course, Brolin slams it into his head. The guy screams, and of course, it gets stuck, and he has to like rip it out. And it's just like ah, less is more, guys. Less is more. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. 
Well, not when you're getting to an American audience that wants more and more and more. <laughs> I know, I know. That, it's, <laughs> I think my problem is more with the American audience and not, you know, the directors that are catering to that audience. Yeah, that's surprising when I saw the re- the, re- the, re- the original after I saw the remake. I know, like, see, that's, that's what it's talking about. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> and I love the whole where he takes out 15 teeth to represent him aging one year for each mm-hmm. tooth instead of the you know what yeah. the American version did where it was just really that gruesome too. and you're just like, damn, that's over the top, man. Chill out. <laughs> and it, another thing is that the the original, the um, uh, Desuo, his relationship with his daughter is much more complex. Like he starts to trust her, and then he doesn't trust her at all. And he's at, there's actually a point where he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And in the original, he just buys into Elizabeth Olsen like right off the bat. And the only thing that he does is Remake. just yeah. See, <laughs> F- fuck you, Spike Lee. <laughs> God damn it. But we should say that it could have been worse. It wasn't it supposed to be like Will Smith. It was, yeah. At the, at the beginning, be, with like Spielberg. It's Spielberg and Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine Spielberg that. said, "Part of Savage said that Spielberg was going to keep it, keep it real, keep it dark, keep the original ending." That's what he said. So, but... Yeah. So I don't know. Could you imagine us sitting here right now talking about Spielberg versus Chan Wook Park and and, and uh, freaking Will Smith? I mean, come on now, Will Smith in that role? I just my goodness, I can't see Will Smith go to her band. I can't see him pushing it that far. I no. I don't even I don't even know if there's any American actors I can think of right away who can actually push it as far as he did. Mm. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Me and my wife were talking about that. I was I was really struggling to try and find, and even though I thought Josh Brolin was like the bright point in Old Boy, I was trying to think of you know like an American actor that could really pull that off, and I was struggling mm. to find. I one. think that Brolin was was really cast well in that role, mm. and same with Elizabeth Olsen. You know, I thought that she did a really solid job. And uh, the two, yep. there's two two people from Sopranos in this. The TV show host, the guy from uh, Dookie Hauser, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, and the other, what's his name? Is it Michael Imperioli? Yeah, the, the yeah. friend at the the, yeah, bartender? the bartender friend. Yeah, uh, and I liked him too. I I was bummed out that no one ate an octopus. They showed the octopus. <laughs> I know they did, and I thought that, yeah. that was a cop out. I mean, he you're was, gonna put uh, all that violence in, and you're not gonna have eaten octopus. <laughs> you can blame uh, Mark Portisavich, the uh, screenwriter, for that. And they they did the tongue, the the uh, the nod to the tongue thing as well yeah. by cutting out Imperioli's tongue and sending it to him. Were there any other little uh, winks and nods to the original that you guys picked up on? Um, <clears throat> I I like the original's use of how they didn't really show that there were encyclopedias in the room, but you could tell that there was because he had this vast knowledge of everything. And with the American version, it's, they were 
encyclopedias and also used them for was lifting weights and he had no knowledge whatsoever <laughs> which i thought which i thought was like a tongue-in-cheek like america you're stupid <laughs> that's really funny yeah, it's, actually it's an alternative to uh, knowledge is power <laughs> yeah yeah well and I, I mean i did love that the the american remake didn't rely so heavily on voiceover like the original did mm-hmm. uh, they didn't do any of the split screens that the original did Oh, right. And and one of the things that I thought was much, much better in the American remake was the title design. Mm. I thought was the best I've seen this year. I thought that that was amazing. But the red ground, the letters coming on, and it's counting down the years. I thought that that was, sadly, that was the high point for me. <laughs> Where I was like, the tunnel design is amazing. I liked. Wow. Uh, I liked. So you, you got you got hooked right away, and then just went downhill for yeah, you. Yeah, it just all it all went downhill. I did like the the scene in the opening when he first gets out, and then he has that that altercation with the football players, and he just. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so over the top, like. Yes. Like, man, you went a little bit too far with these guys. Which, yeah, yeah. Which I think is funny because, like, in the original one, they were like hoodlums just, right uh, yeah they were thugs and i'm wondering yeah. why they made the decision to make them football players in this one yeah, i don't know probably the show out there these guys are big young studs going up against this old dude man he fucked them I, up. I, yeah i do love the the voiceover in the original where he's like can tw- 15 years of make-believe training really work out and then they show like what he did to everyone. He's like, apparently it does. Yeah, and the one guy calls <laughs> so him a dick shit. I remember that. Yeah, and he's like, I, he's like, I've never heard of that word before. There's a, there's a lot more comedic elements to the original. Yeah, that that is one thing. Give you yeah. a little levity. I mean, I I did like the nod in the American remake with the overhead shooting mm. that was incorporated in the original. Yeah, I I, I did enjoy that. Okay. Any other spoilers before we get out of this? Um, nope. Nope. Kevin, any spoilers that you want to cover? Other um, spoilers? I wish that there was more surrealism compared to the original. Yeah, the, the only the only like bit the that whole... they they like they didn't do the ants and stuff. Which yeah, they didn't do the, the ants. ants. They didn't have that weird oh, yeah. ass painting that was in his room. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. do you remember that the painting? Well, they did oh, have the God. painting and then the true. of the weird bellhop i don't know if that was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be some sort of like you know social yeah, commentary or something yeah but the ants made more sense because they said that when you what was it when you're in isolation when, yeah, for yeah so when, long? You're, when you're lonely you start to imagine ants because ants move in groups yeah so you're sort of striving for that um you know that group like feeling and maybe it, they uh, maybe they switch that up with the rats yeah that was yeah maybe yeah maybe uh, and that, yeah that could be makes more sense in the like the american version with spike lee being from new york and everything so could be maybe they went the rat route could be that makes makes sense there was one thing that i thought and this was very bizarre and i know that i'm digging deep here but watching the original at the end where they do you know the reveal and everything and the 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 villain is sort of like saying you know, you just forgot because it wasn't important to you. You know, that's the reason that you didn't remember what you did to me and why I'm seeking vengeance on you and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was slightly just the way that I saw these films. 
where you know I'm watching the remake version, the American version, and I'm like, man, was it like this? And then I'm sort of struck by that, where it's like, I just forgot, because even though I thought that I loved the original, apparently it wasn't that important to me, because I missed all these, all this complexity and depth and everything that was completely missing in the first one, and I actually had to go back and watch the original to see if I was yeah. right. Mm. Yeah, which I, mean, thought I, was, I, I forgot so much of the movie. Yeah, yeah was, which I thought was it was really poignant because the fact that when we first saw this, I thought it was like it blew my mind. It absolutely floored me, and I know that it did to you too, Adam. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were like, "This is the greatest revenge film I've ever seen in my entire life." And then here I am, ten years later, and I'm watching the American remake, and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't really remember much from the Korean version." That's sad. Hmm. So you'd say that now, since you rewatched the Korean version, you have a new, newfound appreciation for it. You picked up on things that you didn't. Yes, didn't. Much, much so than the first time that I watched it back in uh, 2003. What I was like 19 when we first saw it. 18. Yeah. Say so I don't even know how old I am, but. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much complexity in the screenplay, and it, the whole less is more. The way that they keep out so much, and they don't really give you any answers. To what's going on? Yeah, it's just much better yeah. than the American, where they just, like I said, they force feed you everything. They really make you try to figure it out for yourself in the original. But I don't know. Again, uh-huh. and again, that could be just because we all saw the original. And I, I would like to talk to someone who didn't see the original, or maybe saw the new one first, then saw the original. And this, go ahead. They're go an interesting. Yeah, they're taking an interesting marketing campaign prior to uh the official critics reviews coming out i was like like who are these quotes coming from uh, if you've seen the uh tv spots and whatnot and ads in the newspaper and they're actually taking quotes from people who tweeted about the remake oh okay it's interesting so so there's like there's like who is this is like at and like oh those are tweets huh. so yeah so okay so all these people have never seen the original so it's like okay i guess now, so now in so to sort of go up to follow up on that is like my wife hasn't seen the original yet, and I'm really scared that she doesn't want to see it now because she did not like the American version, and she's actually a big Spike Lee fan, and she just uh-huh. she didn't like it at all. And I'm like now I'm like damn it, you're not going to see the Korean version because you hated the American version, and it's not like that. I'm like trying to trying to explain know, to talk her. her in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm like yeah. trying to talk her into it. Like it's nothing like the American version. Please watch. Maybe it. now, maybe now you have no choice but to watch the English dub version because she may not be willing to <laughs> commit the time to read subtitles. No, she'll read. She'll read this. Yeah, she 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 enjoys foreign films much more. See, I mean, she's in the huh. same boat as me. It, it, I I can't stand Hollywood. Hollywood bothers huh. me so much. All right, so. What what you need to do is get her to watch the original and then and then come back and see. Let us know what what she thought of it because that that I'm could a, be I'm the gonna, case study right there. Hey, I'm gonna try. I I mean I tried to talk her into it last night, but she chose instead to watch Valhalla Rising, Ugh. which she fucking hated. Me too. I hated that too. <laughs> it was it was just her interrupting me watching the original old boy to tell me how much Nicholas fucking sash belt sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I did not like that. But anyway, all right, let's let's uh, wrap this up. Final thoughts on Old Boy, Ernie. You gave it a was it a seven and a half? Seven and a half. Seven and a half yep. out of ten. I'm gonna give it. 
We'll say uh, five and a half. I'll go five and, five and a half. half. Five and a half. Yeah. I, I'm going to go four. Go with the four? Okay. There you go. I'm going with a four. I mean, obviously, I think it goes without saying. If you haven't seen the original Old Boy, watch it now. It's on Netflix Instant. And then if you really want to know, you know, what the differences are and just see the American take on it, you know, go check it out. I would say go see it soon if you haven't already because it's in somewhat of a limited release right now and I have a feeling that it's not going to be in theaters very long Mm. because my screening, there was literally one other person in the theater. (laughs) Yeah, my screening (laughs) had... My screen had three people in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, playing on 500 something screens and it only did 1.25 million for the five day. Yeah, so it's so. it's not not yeah. doing so good. It did. And it, well, uh, oh, for me, actually, but for me, it's, it it's clearly not the most ideal Thanksgiving movie. To see. But no, so, that's true. No. I'm like, this should have been hell for the the uh, the dumping ground. Uh, like January, February, where, where right. stuff like well, that is more easily yeah. accessible, more people are willing to go see it. But yes, not at Thanksgiving, Christmas. <laughs> like, no. Well, let's go see a movie about incest. Here's here's the thing. Like, th- <laughs> this reminds me of some, a conversation I had with my girlfriend after we saw it yesterday. Who's the target audience for this movie? Like, who are, who are they targeting this towards? Is it for? People that saw the original, you know, like movie lovers that saw the original, because that's not going to work. Is it for action fans? Because there's not a whole lot of action. It's kind of an obscure title. Like, yeah, and it, and it's actually a lot slower moving than the original. Like they spend entirely too much time before he's actually in prison. His imprisonment is like three times the length of the original. So just, so like, who are they marketing this towards? I mean. I just I don't, don't really. <laughs> and I mean, w- when you're doing a remake of a film that is like a cult classic type deal, you're already going to get those people suckered in. I mean, I was talking for weeks how I thought this is stupid bullshit and I would never see this because I'm totally against remakes. And then there I was, fucking Friday night, on my way to go see Old Boy just because I got sucked into it because I wanted to see, oh, how's it different from the original? Just curiosity. Yeah. And I'm just really pissed off that I gave my money to it. Uh, I'm not. I'm a, hypo- I'm a hypocrite. I'm not necessarily pissed off. I think that it just didn't. Just I wasn't that into it. But the thing is, I went into it not liking it. Like I went into it thinking, like, how mm-hmm. dare they? How dare they? You know? <laughs> Who do you think? You yeah, are? I think I, so- I somehow managed to avoid those thoughts going in. When I went to see I it, tried. it's like okay, because like I know to remake, I know I like the original, but again, I still haven't revisited it yet. So I was like, okay, let's see what they do. And I was like, I was like I was like, okay, I'm like I'm watching the movie, and like oh, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that. And I'm like, and then when I got the point of comparison, I'm like oh, that was different. Yeah, but oh well, but that's that's hard to do. I was amazed that even I could do it. It would be like saying it's like okay, um, I wouldn't be able to separate myself if they were like saying okay, we're gonna remake ET, right. like like. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. It's, yeah, it's so etched etched in my brain that that's almost impossible. And that's the other oh. thing. Like the entire the entire time I was watching the new one, I was just comparing it in my head to the original. Like the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, well that's different. Okay, mm-hmm. well there's I remember that part. In fact, I I actually forgot the whole octopus eating scene. Oh, uh, 
And when the octopus alert scene comes up where he looks at the octopus in the remake, I'm like, what was that all about? Hmm. <laughs> and then like, and it's like, oh, I can't believe I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I did. I, like, I remembered the octopus eating scene, but I didn't really remember how it played out. So when I was watching the original and they show it, I'm just like, oh, that, okay, that's right. He ate a live octopus. And they did that like four times. You had to eat four live octopus. And I think he's or like octopi, octopi, sorry. Yeah. I think he's an actual Buddhist or something to that effect, where you, or some religion where they really don't want to harm animals. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to sit there and eat one. Yeah. Yeah. So Jamu yeah. Park definitely pushed him a lot more than it seems like. Spike Lee pushed Josh Brolin. I almost feel like Spike Lee wasn't invested in this at all. I don't think Spike Lee's invested in anything, honestly, anymore. <laughs> and, and and that's like the that was one of the the, the sad things for me is like I like Spike Lee I do too. a lot, and I was like I I hope that this sort of this works out for him and maybe gets him some more you know funding for his next films. And I was just like this this just feels like a knockoff. Like, there's nothing here yeah. that makes me think mm-hmm. Spike Lee. Yeah, this was Spike Lee. Yeah, I agree. It, it didn't really contain his his voice at all. Like, if you mm-hmm. didn't know mm-hmm. that it was directed by Spike Lee going into it, you wouldn't know. Like, you wouldn't be like... No, you wouldn't. You know, whereas if, if it's his previous movies, you're just like, okay, yeah, this is definitely a Spike Lee movie. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There's, like, a grittiness to it, but there, there that was... Completely missing it in the old boy. Yeah. I was like, oh, I thought he was going to make gritty. And in the title, it didn't even say a Spike Lee joint. It said a Spike Lee film. Mm. What's that all about? What's that? All? Yeah. What is that? Mm. Sit, come right on. off the bat, I was like, wait a minute. Selling Something out. doesn't Spike feel Lee. right here. <laughs> Selling out. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I think that that'll wrap that up. Ernie, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. No problem. Let's talk about some predictions. First up, we have Frozen. I said 85, you said 81, actual 84 on Disney's Frozen. Disney's Frozen? (laughs) Old Boy, I said 76, you said 72, actual 42. Yeah. (laughs) Ouch. Home home Front, I said 40, you said 42, actual 35. And finally, Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. I said 79, you said 54, actual 62. I'm surprised that was a lot higher than I thought it would be. Hmm? It's a, it's a lot higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. I thought it just, I don't know. You never I, know with movies like that. Just like the the soundtrack to that? Ugh. If that was just in the trailer, though, maybe the actual score of the Ugh. film was different. Ugh. Oh, God. All right, next week we have Out of the Furnace. What are you thinking on this one? I'm pretty excited for this one. I'm slightly excited. I don't know, I'm sort of getting tired of the backwoods. I'm not. <laughs> I don't care. I'll never get tired of it. I'm getting tired of it, man. Um, I'm going to say like a 74. I'm, I'm going to say 80. I think it's... Right. I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be good. And we have Inside Lewin Davis. Also very excited for this one. I'm going to say 89. Mm, I'm gonna say 92, and I'm really pissed off. You know how that we're members, and you always get those emails. And did you get the email where we're invited to all these screenings for this movie? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> yep. Uh, like, are, are you guys shown in Mount Joy? <laughs> Mountford, Pennsylvania. Uh, attend the screening there. Uh, in limited release, we have Last Days on Mars, which is that science fiction one with Liv Schreiber. That's currently playing on demand right now. Not supposed to be that good. Haven't heard good things. Yeah, that, yeah. Just forget Kumba. about this. Kumba. Kumba. Animated film. Kumba. It's about zoo animals. Oh, I I, I like what I'm hearing. Doesn't look very that. good. How do you spell that? K H U M B A. K H U M B A. Kumba. Yeah, it doesn't look very good. Uh, uh, we also like have. Which McFarland ripoff? It looks like a uh, Madagascar ripoff. Yes, exactly. We also have Crave, which I don't know too much about. And finally, we have Lenny Cook, the documentary. I think that's actually supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I um, it looks interesting. Like, it doesn't appeal to me, really, because it seems like, I don't know, it's just, it seems pretty sad. But Oh, it's the Safdie brothers. I enjoy their work. Yeah, I'm going to definitely check this out. Lenny Cook? Yeah. I like it. I like me some basketball. Yeah, I know. It's about, yeah, he, he was like, uh, he was supposed to be like a really, uh... Yeah, he was supposed to be like one big, of the... Yeah, like he was supposed to be really good and he was a really promising career and then he like screwed it all up by getting into like drugs and stuff, right? I don't know if he actually got into drugs. I don't, I don't really remember his story. I remember watching, I think it was like a, like an ESPN expo or something like that. Expose. Like yeah, yeah. for 30. I think it was like before they had their 30 for 30 documentary series. It's just like some special on Sports Center or something. Those 30 for 30s are fantastic. Oh, man. they're amazing. <laughs> they're so good. Yeah. Did you see the 30 for 30 for Space Jam? No, I did not. <laughs> I keep forgetting that I want to watch that. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. All right. A video on demand next week. We have Kumba. We have Crave. We have Bet Ray's Fold, which is actually playing right now. That just came out today. And we have a review for that up. And Diamond on Vinyl, which we also have a review for that up. I'm I'm sure we talked about it earlier, but I want to see that. Diamond on Vinyl? Yes, from your review, I'm interested. DVD and Blair releases. We have The Wolverine, which I'm actually going to buy. I don't buy too many Blu-rays these days, but I'm going to pick up the Wolverine just because I want to see that extended R-rated cut. Oh. Yeah, that that has me very interested. All the boys love Mandy Lane. Keep going back to that one. (laughs) Jesus. That's going to be in our lives forever. Did you ever notice how there's there's like certain movies that I feel that we talk about them almost every week? Mm hmm That's definitely one of them. It's just that we just keep coming back to that. Jeez. Smurfs 2. I know you're excited for that one. Uh, mm, Joe Swanberg's yes. Drinking Buddies. Which yeah, uh, I, I recommend that I one. recommend that one, definitely. Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's, that's, that's like the most ridiculous it. movie I've never seen. Well, I heard that... Because uh, you know how I was like rallying against the uh, How I Live Now... That the two lovers are cousins, they're mm-hmm. like first cousins. Well, 
Turns out in Mortal Instruments City of Bones, the two lovers are brother and sister. Are you fine? What? What is going on with incest? But apparently they don't actually have sex in it, like in How I Live Now. Apparently they just kiss. It's like a Luke and Leia type thing. The hell? Like they but don't they know. know it? Oh, they no, don't they, don't, know. they don't know. Oh, okay, okay. So, still, How I Live Now is still worse. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Which, any... I want to mention something real quick, because I remember how horrible the trailer for Mortal Instruments was, but... and how I thought it was the most ridiculous film I've ever seen that I won't actually see. And it got topped this weekend, which was, I saw the trailer for I, Frankenstein. Mm. That is, is uh, isn't that horrible? Rid- what the hell is this new obsession with bringing back like these old um, liter- literary characters and like putting them in the real world? Like, uh, there's that Sleepy Hollow TV show that looks absolutely yeah, god awful. Yeah, well, like, what is what is up with this obsession? Can we know. stop, please? Just stop it. I'm begging you. I don't know, but I Frankenstein looks that atrocious. Look, I just was sitting there with my jaw on the floor, like, "Are you kidding me? This is what? No wonder the studios have no fucking money." Could be, could be the closest thing to a gargoyles movie you're going to get, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought it was at first <laughs> when the guy flew in. I was like, "Oh shit! Did they steal my idea?" <laughs> uh, any Criterion's coming out? Uh, we have two. We have uh, one Robert Altman film from 1975, Nashville, is getting uh, the Criterion treatment, and a Italian film from 1970 called Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion by mm-hmm. Ilio Petri, which it sounds... It sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. Kafka-esque tale, police, heinous crime that he committed. What? Speaking of Altman, did you see Mud got the Robert Altman Award at this year's Independent Spirit Awards? I did. I did see that. What do you think about that? Uh, meh. Just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the awards are so fucking stupid. I like the Independent Spirit Awards, and they, they they're the best. But I think that they're they the best. They're slowly, slowly moving into that territory. They are. Where you like? That's what I, I was just going to say. Anymore. You're just golden globes light now when 12 years a slave gets nominated for like seven awards like i don't know yeah it bothers me that that i don't know but there there were a couple on that list that i was i was pleased with like blue caprice getting nominated for best uh first feature and fruitvale station got got a quite a few awards i think um that was best first feature, and I think that it also got nominated. Um, what's his name? Michael B. Jordan got nominated, and uh, I, s- I still Girl. have I still haven't seen that. I want to see that movie. It's it's great. I mean, it's uh, it's heart wrenching, but it's yeah, great. it just I mean, much like what you said, just so many of these nominations are going to films where I'm like. It's not really independent. Like I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't really consider Twelve Years a Slave to be an independent film. I mean, maybe technically, I I don't know. But well, I don't even know. Is it technically like was it independently financed? Did Steve McQueen finance that film? You know, he got a lot of financing from Brad Pitt, and I'm sure some other people. But then again, I always feel slightly stupid 
like out of my depth here because I'm not really into the like the business side of the industry because I really don't give two shits. Sometimes we'll see. Sometimes I pay attention to that. Like sometimes I'll actually research that on how they finance the film, but in a lot of cases I don't care too much. Like I'll look at box office numbers and I'll look at the budget of a film, but you know that's pretty much as far as it'll go. Like there's certain movies that I'll be that have like an interesting story behind the financing and yeah you know with with things like that I'm kind of interested but just, I'm always in, I'm always interested for movies that get funded like through Kickstarter and stuff just to see how that turns out there's a couple of things that I was happy with I like I, like I love their first feature category I love that I think that's a great idea you know to recognize someone for their first film I think that's one of my favorites. Plus the Cassavetes. Cassavetes, award. yeah. I love that award. I saw this year. I saw a lot of the nominees. I remember last year. I there I'm, were there were quite a number that I didn't see. I'm in the I, midst of trying them find them right now. Because I remember, I remember last year there was like maybe twenty that I didn't see, but this year there's not that many. We have. All is Lost, that got nominated for quite a number of awards. Which makes sense, because I think he's actually a member. Nebraska got nominated for quite a few inside Lewin uh, Davis. I always want to say Llewellyn, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one <laughs> that wants to say Llewellyn. I can tell you right now that that's what I say every time. <laughs> Blue Jasmine got nominated for, for a few... Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke and Richard Linkletter got nominated for Best Screenplay for Before Midnight. Well, I was happy to see Caruth for Director. Mm-hmm. That, that also got happy. nominated for Best Feature. Did, wait, that. Did it? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Sorry. Take that back. Unbelievable. Come on. Uh, that It did get nominated for more than one, though. Upstream Color got nominated for more than one. I just... I'm not seeing it. I did, I did see that... Computer Chess got nominated for the Cassavetes Award. Yes, I did. That see was that. Uh, C- Computer Chess, Crystal Fairy, Museum Hours, Pit Stop, and this is Martin Bonner. Uh, Museum Hours, I desperately want to see. That isn't. Uh, I think that might come out this week, or maybe it's on video on demand. I think it's actually out right now. Yeah, but I, me having Netflix, they do that thing where it's like, hey, we know it's out, but we're gonna wait three weeks until you can have it. And I'm like, thanks, Netflix. Here's more of my money. <laughs> Here you go. Just take it. Just take I, it. I love our relationship. It's great. I actually enjoyed This is Martin Bonner a lot. It was a surprising, enjoyable film. I want to like computer chess. And then I just remember how unbelievably fucking boring it was. Like, I love all the ideas behind it. It just it, it didn't work thought, for me. It didn't work for me. I'm sorry. The, th- the thing that I like the most about computer chess is how it was filmed and the cinematographer Matthias Grunsky did get nominated for best cinematography. I just love the look of it. I thought it, that it looked like spot on for the time period. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, what, what's first feature? That's what I wanted to see. Who's in here for first feature. First feature is, um, Okay, Blue Caprice, Concussion, yeah. Hill Station, Una Noche, which I still want to see. And Wajda? 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 Yeah, I have to see Concussion, Una Noche, and Wajda. But I, I, I don't know. 
with Wajda, it makes me wonder if that's getting so much recognition just because of how, you know, how it was made and that it was a the first, you know, uh, woman-directed film. Yeah, from, I mean, there's a part of me that hopes that it isn't for that reason. Well, absolutely. There's another part of me that thinks that even if it is for that reason, it's good. You know, to get some recognition, maybe get that film yeah, industry kick-started. Like, yeah, hear, hearing stories about how she would have to direct the film, like, from a van. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. So I, I do want to see that, but... All right. Um, any, any other closing thoughts before we end, up, end off here? Pretty solid year for independent films. It's a lot of yeah, shit, like, but there's, I remember, there's, a, there's a lot of good uh, gems in there. I remember last year I was kind of struggling with my top ten. This year I think that it's going to be much easier <laughs> oh, to make my top dude, my, ten. My top ten is and, bursting at the seams right yeah, now. Like, I have a lot of difficult decisions to make. Same here. Whereas last year, I was actually struggling to find 10 that I mm-hmm. felt worthy. This year, I'm probably going to have like 20 at least to start with, and then I'll have to weed it down. But All right. Well, I think that that'll wrap it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watch's movie. Uh, now my computer's frozen. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, we'll, we'll wait. Uh... Uh...